Welcome to the Board of Education, where troublemakers and system breakers gather to discuss how they are dismantling inequity in public education. Calling our meeting to order is Chairman of the Board, Jonathan Santos Silva. Oh man, it's good to be here with you, Doc, and to be here with all, all of our board, uh, our board members, all of our listeners. It is a fantastic day to be on the Board of Ed with Jonathan Santos Silva, which is, which is pretty much any day. It's fantastic to be with the amazing Jonathan Santos Silva. Well, I don't know about that. It's, I would say the same thing, uh, only because I get to kick it with you. Uh, we get to kick it with our listeners, and we get to hang out with fabulous board members. And I'm, I'm really excited because um, we've gotten some positive feedback on the last couple of episodes. Yeah. Folks are really excited. We're building a movement, you know, getting people excited. And as you're listening, uh, this, you don't have to be passive. We want to hear your voice, too. Uh, uh, join us while you're listening on social media. Uh, we are on Twitter at the underscore board of ed. We're also on Instagram, the underscore board of ed. Uh, join us on Facebook, the board of ed, and of course our website, the board of ed.com. Right. So the last couple of weeks, we've been really blessed to have Anna Shea, right. Who talks a lot about um, disrupting ourselves and, 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 and putting families at the center. Kyle Quadros took us into our brains. You know, this is your brain on um, trauma. Yeah, I'm, still, I'm still not out of my brain yet, which I think is yeah. a good thing, right? <laughs> like I'm still in there. And then, you know, this week we have um, Dr. Diana Knoyer, who is the executive director of the National Indian Education Association. And so this is something, you know, very close to my heart as someone who's taught in Indian country. Um, you know, I, I taught high school math on the Pine Ridge Reservation, and I currently work with schools both on and off res for serving indigenous populations. And so she's gonna kind of give us like a systems level view of Indian education and the history of education in the indigenous communities to really kind of root us both in the history and where we are in present day yeah. about what does Indian education look like? What are we doing right now? What's the system? Oh, that's a big question. So I think, um, I think generally we need to ensure, and this is in specifically our tribally controlled schools where sovereignty, educational sovereignty exists. We need to allow culture in the school, not just in the classroom, not just in one or two classrooms, but culture needs to be a part of the whole school. So when a student walks across the threshold into the school building, most often, and I'm being very general, but most often the school the school, I mean, the uh, student's cultural identity, whether it's the traditional spiritual beliefs, thought and philosophy, have to be left at the door. Because when you go into the school building and you go into the classroom, that system is an American education system. They assess you like an American education system would. Academically, they assess you. Behaviorally, they assess you. Um, socially, they assess you. Are you, you know, able to get along? Are you developmentally at your age that you're supposed to be? Uh, and then, of course, academics, behaviorally, are you a good citizen? What does a good citizen mean? That means something different in Indian country or an in indigenous case than it does in the American education system. So I think to be, a tr you know, to be Native and go to school, uh, you have to compromise a lot. You're... Um, your own integrity has to be, you know, in check. It's a, a lot of code switching for our students. You can't speak a certain way. You can't use slang. You can't dress a certain way. Um, 
yeah, you can't think, you know, your, your own thought and philosophy has to, has to change. Uh, you know, reading a passage in a, <clears throat> whether it's in a, a standardized assessment or just in a, uh, a lesson, uh, uh, a daily lesson, reading a passage, you might visually and see it a different way and you process it a different way, but that's wrong because that's not a part of this American education system. So I think to truly embrace this educational sovereignty or this indigenous thought and philosophy in our education systems, we need to break out. And I always talk about taking the education system and turning it upside down, turning it on its head, where thought and philosophy are first and foremost what drives the rest of the school. So what is native thought and philosophy? And it's easier to do when you're in, uh, like when you're on Pine Ridge, it's, it's generally one thought and philosophy. It's a little harder to do when you're in a boarding school that has multiple um, tribal or multiple nations. But there is a general indigenous thought and philosophy that could drive and direct how curriculum is developed, how the school climate and culture is developed, how leadership is managed, how, uh, how a student can learn and uh, interact with their teacher. I think that the kinship system would work very well in a tribally controlled school. I have all my brothers and sisters around me, or I have all my relatives around me. The teacher is the untancha, the leader, um, the uh, you know the principal or the school leadership and the school board or grandmas and grandpas that we already have mutual respect for those kinships so why not create that in the school system where you know where a student would come in and, and know okay I need to respect this teacher and we're just told right now you just have to respect adults well, what if that adult is doing something that's harmful do you still have to respect them so I think there are just pieces in an education system right now that don't fit an indigenous thought and philosophy. And, and all of those pieces really need to start changing. Yeah, no, that's, that's powerful. I think about how that, um, the idea of incorporating the, an indigenous thought and philosophy into the lens at which we look at every aspect of school jives with a lot of what, you know, we read about culturally responsive teaching and, and unlocking kids' brain power. So, right, like mm -hmm. if I walk into a space and this feels like home or this mm -hmm. feels like the ceremony or mm -hmm. feels like, you know, anywhere else I'm engaging with the community, I, it's almost easier to bring my full self and then just grapple with what you're asking me to grapple with. Right. Right. I don't have to worry right. about trying to switch and figure out, well, what's the system and everything. So, right. Um, we talk about code switching a lot when, uh, as adults, as adults who learned on the reservation and they try to go off to, to college, maybe they leave the reservation to go off to school. Um, having to, yeah, like you said, it's just having to figure out, you know, I process this differently and now I'm being told that I process it wrong or I'm incorrect. Um, as much as Common Core was hated by kind of nationally, I think Common Core core allowed a lot of our native students to process like they normally do. It was a different way to come to the answer through, you know, in math. It was a different way to read a passage in uh, English or, or, or uh, um, yeah, English language arts. It was a different way to process. And a lot of our students actually 
uh, flourished if Common Core was rolled out uh, effectively and, and teachers were trained appropriately. Uh, it also allowed for culture, uh, cultural thought and philosophy to be included, cultural stories to be included, the comparison of an American history story and a native story to be compared and allowing students to embrace their own philosophy. And it's really hard to explain to a non-native teacher what maybe an innate process of thinking about uh, a writing, uh, thinking about a math, um, a word problem or thinking about a math problem. How do you approach a writing prompt? I mean, sometimes those, those are scary. And so what a native student, tribally controlled native student, might approach a writing prompt in a different way. And it's not incorrect in Common Core because there were so many different strategies and approaches to get to the right answer. And I think that's something else that you, know, you think you ask an indigenous education system um, in an in indigenous philosophy of learning. We didn't have the word education. We had the, lear the word, you know, we have, not, we have learning and we have knowledge. And I think to gain knowledge, we could go, you know, a mile down the road and not be wrong. And now we are wrong. Uh, so I think it's changing that educational philosophy as well. When you said that we didn't have a word for education, we had learning and knowledge. That's, mm -hmm. that's interesting. So it's uh, the process of, right? Learning mm -hmm. was the verb. I'm listening to you. I'm gaining this information. I'm taking it in. And then this becomes knowledge that I start practicing and I use a tool and I, oh, I got it wrong. So now I back up and I figure out how to do it right. Uh, everything is, it feels so strict and restrictive right now in our American education system. You have this many weeks to learn these 10 things. And if you don't, then you fail. Mm. That creates an equity before our students even get you know, like off the track, right? Off the, the starting block. Um, because those 10 days, seven of them, we might be physically in our chair but mentally we're absent right mm -hmm. it's just so frustrating um to to hear especially well all teachers native and non-native say well i have to get through these three units in six weeks like oh what what kind of learning what value then are you putting on the process of learning we're right. not right no we get caught up on coverage and yeah. being able to check the boxes that I hit, you know, all the units one through seven or one through 12 right. or whatever, um, without regard to what does it actually mean for the students? Right. You know, and then we shift it to like, we look at the assessment and go, well, if the kids cared about the assessment, right. then blah, 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 blah would have happened. But it's right. like, if we cared about the kids and they, and they were actually learning, then, then, then eventually they would care because this would be the demonstration point. Now I can show right. you what I've done. So it's like, okay. if we, if it's like, if, uh, a friend of mine says, if we chase academics with kids who are dealing with trauma or challenges mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. who, you know, inequities, we usually don't get it. But if mm -hmm. we chased their health and their wellness mm -hmm. and building relationships with trust, we would, we would get the academics, right? So mm -hmm. we, have to re, we have to put things in the proper order. Right, right. Mm -hmm. We're not meeting our students' basic needs anymore. We're not mm -hmm. considering their basic needs in this American education system at all, mm. not at all. Well, that's why I feel strongly that 
what what folks are doing and trying to figure out for indigenous students and for Indian country has promise for the whole country. Yeah. Because I think like kids, regardless of race, ethnicity, urban, suburban, rural, right. if you were walking into a school daily where you knew that, you know, where you had that like kinship kind of model, right. where you felt like this teacher uh, cared about you mm-hmm. and, and cared about what you needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and same for the teacher, right? If you walked in and you felt like, this was a family and that mm-hmm. the community outside the school was supporting mm-hmm. you and your ability to drive students to mm-hmm. learning. I think it makes everybody's experience change mm-hmm. in a positive yep. way. Yep. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> now, now, now you and Diana are talking about like things that Kyle was talking about, right? Like I'm starting to see this, this idea of like the most powerful and transformative thing is to, create schools where kids are humans whoa right yeah <laughs> it seems it seems so simple but when you think about all of the ways that we have programmed humanity out of schools right like the human touch you know or, you know can't waste a minute Just line up straight mm. got to do this don't you know got to be focused and all you know none of those things i don't i, I like to think were created to harm kids but is ways where we chip away, chip away, chip away at the opportunities for organic mm-hmm. relationship building yeah. for the exchange of culture and histories and, and the sharing that we naturally do. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, when, you know, before we sat down for this episode, we were kicking it 15, mm-hmm. 20 minutes. Right. And yeah. we have schools are running so tight that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that's uh, that's why we're seeing the echo because it's not a native issue. Mm-hmm. It's not an urban black or Latino issue. It is a human issue. Absolutely. We're all craving the connection. Yeah. And, and, and we don't put a priority or a measure on how our schools are doing well at that, right? Like what you measure tells you what you value. And right now the only thing that we're measuring is how good are you at math and how good are you at ELA? Now, obviously, that is a huge part of what school is, but but we're not putting stakes in the ground around how schools are supposed to be supporting kids in their socio-emotional development and, and providing them those needs. And what I think is really interesting is what we're seeing a lot in terms of this argument about when and why schools should continue is parents and other stakeholders are now going, no, school provides a socio-emotional need for kids that they're not getting right now. Oh, you just now noticing that. Thank you for coming to the party, right? (laughs) And so so maybe this is the disruption. Um, Like Anishay talked about that that we need, you know, in in episode two, um, where more people are now seeing the roles of school, the role of schools in the ability to support kids beyond just being a place where they get the academic training they need to reach their aspirations that they have for themselves. Right. I think that's such a critical point. I think what it also, you know, in terms of the disruption revealing the need for the human connection, the other thing that the coronavirus uh, and all of the distancing protocols have revealed is, in, in my opinion, how broadband and and and, techn- and access to technology are 
really becoming human rights issues, right? Like yeah. for kids to not have the basic technology that they need to continue when school is out really puts them behind the curve, really puts them at a disadvantage. And Diana goes into that. Uh, it's not just having the hardware or the tool, but it's not having the broadband. Um, and that is something that we've heard across almost every tribally controlled school. Um, and if that tribally controlled school has, uh, that community has uh, access or majority of the folks have access to internet, they didn't have access to the hardware. Because uh, <clears throat> most of the schools have tablets or pads or uh, technology that's in the school building only and not enough to, um, not enough to take care of all this, the whole student body. So there was a mass panic um, around mid-March for most of the tribally controlled schools, especially the high schools, to order some kind of tablet to send home with the students. Um, and even then, there was uh, pushback, there was delay um, out of, what if we don't get these back? What if families lose them, sell them, break them? Um, you know, how, how do we ensure that the student is using it for what its purpose is? Um, and that right now, you know, especially during a pandemic, that really should not be your topic of conversation. It really should be, uh, okay, let's hurry and order these. And then how do we train the students to use these? Because they only use them in class. So they're not, they've never done Zoom or GoToMeeting or webinar or whatever online learning teachers and schools didn't think about, okay, how do we train our kids? Seven, you know, the, the middle school kids and the high school kids. And some are, are reaching out to their elementary kids, but they have to have a parent that's on. So training, uh, just basic knowledge and training doesn't exist or didn't exist uh, as, the, as this was rolling out. Um, and all, I think the rollout of the technology, schools were not considering the social and emotional needs of, of, of kids. They were considering just the academics. It's mid-March to make sure that, especially the high school kids, the seniors, the juniors and seniors, we need to make sure that they achieve, like we said, these certain units or they have to get through X, Y, and Z or they won't graduate or they won't meet these state requirements. Um, but what about the kids that are in, uh, you know, some challenging home lives? What about the kids that might be living, I don't know, seven to 10 deep? Um, what, and, and school is an outlet and the connection to their friends or even the relatives that they get to see at school is their social and emotional connection and outlet. How are we taking care of the, these kids in the, at this time? And that's not being considered. It's still not being considered. Uh, it's, a, it's more of a, oh, that's a fear of mine, but I, I just don't know what to do. So out of sight, out of mind. And meanwhile, those kids are struggling, struggling socially, emotionally, maybe physically. We don't know. Um, so I think that's unique. And, and I wouldn't say it's unique just to Indian country. I think that's unique to um, you know, rural, to poverty, to, to communities that are impoverished. But I also see these challenges in 
urban white um, uh, here in Oklahoma City. Some of the challenges that Nicole's friends uh, are going through where their parents lost their jobs because of the pandemic and that's creating stress in the home and they can't finish school uh, because they just can't learn, right? It's the stress of mom and dad are unemployed and I can't sit and think about my academics because I'm worried about whatever else the family's worried about. So I think those are, are common across a lot of our communities, native and non-native communities. Um, you know, something else that's really unique, and this is just what I've experienced being back home, our ceremonies are all on hold. And a lot of our community members and our children depend, on, depend upon these ceremonies, even if it's just a sweat once or twice a month. We depend on this social connection. We are a very social uh, group of people. And now we can't be. Now we're being told that it's wrong to be social right now, or it's bad to be social right now. Um, so ceremonies being canceled. I know the Pueblos, all their ceremonies around the Easter time, Catholic and Pueblo, and they couldn't do anything. Uh, that's a big blow to to the community. There's a, we're already in a, a, a space of fear and worry and distress, and now we can't even go and pray collectively, right? Um, right. It's like, so a, it's think, like a double whammy because yeah. the, traditionally, you know, if something bad happened in the community, that's the first thing you want to do. And in right. this case, what we're learning is that doing what you would naturally do could kill you or kill yes. your grandma. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So that's something I've, uh, when we went home, something that I got to talk to, to several people about, and they're trying to run like an underground sweat or trying to run a sweat with only the family that has already isolated together, but it's not helping the larger, the, the larger group. Wow. Okay. Um, Jonathan, I, I may need a little help here. Sweat. Um, that's not something I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. Is that a, a, a religious or spiritual service? Yes. So folks, you know, in terms of like popular culture, you mm-hmm. know, and like new age philosophy, folks may be familiar with like a sweat lodge, right? Okay. Like oh, okay. Yeah. Lakota will refer to as Inipi. Um, it is a traditional spiritual practice of like collective prayer and singing, mm-hmm. right? So we'll come together in um, a structure, like a, like a domed structure that they would build. It would be folks would be sitting around the outer edges with um, with a fire, uh, or, or excuse me, I should say not a fire, but hot stones in the center, uh, and using water to create kind of like a steam experience. And then, like I said, they're singing around and praying, and so it's like a time okay. for spiritual growth and healing. And you know, so to Diana's point, you know, your pores are open. It's very very intimate. It's probably uh, not the best recipe for a gathering when there's a virus that could potentially be spread. Especially when you talk about intergenerational sweat. And so you have elders who are kind of keeping the circle. You know, you're putting them at risk. Man, I I, I will admit, um, I I don't attend uh, religious services regularly. So this, this is a blind spot for me, but when when schools are a cultural vacuum right and now we we have this covid-19 that's hitting and it's preventing access 
to the, the to the small areas where your culture is authentic and and is and able to be practiced all the more reason that schools need to bring that culture in because that is the place that can still do it right i wow right yeah you know i mean a, a great example so there's a school it's a girls school here um on pine ridge uh it's called ampawichapi which is it's the morning star um and it, like i said it's all girls environment and they have brought the ceremonies back to school uh, and infused it and when you talk to when you get i got to visit you know see me meet the girls and they talk about how um, participating in an EP, participating in the womanhood ceremonies, um, it, it has a positive impact in their self-image as young scholars, as young women. Um, and I think that as we think about uh, what does the return to school look like, mm -hmm. that is something to keep in mind is how do we leverage the elements of our culture, the healing elements of our spirituality to bridge the gap between this period of disconnection with the new reality. And, and the trauma that, that potentially we're bringing by having lived in that vacuum for so long. Let's listen to Diana. It's not just trauma of our, our students are going to be, are, are, are suffering with and then coming back to school with, but it's the trauma of our, uh, of our educators, our staff, administration, leaders, what are they going through right now? And specifically in the communities that are being impacted like Navajo Nation, where there are teachers that have died. And what does that look like in coming back to the school? And is it being addressed right now? Um, and no, no, the answer is no, it's not being addressed right now because everyone is just in a place of distress and a place of chaos. Um, but I think schools, tribally controlled schools have a lot more in, um, flexibility and they're empowered to do more, to address more, to, um, to put a plan in place, you know, more so than maybe the BIE operated, funded, and public schools. Um, but thinking about your students' brain activity, um, you know, your, what is the, the dopamine, the, the chemical that's released in our, in our, in our brains, what is that it's going dormant right now and you're sitting in front of a TV or you're sitting in front of a video game or, you know, you're in a space, like I said, that's constant chaos and distress and high anxiety. And now you're, you're for what is it? Six months, five months for some people you're like this, you're just tense all the time. And now you're going to go back into a school and you're going to have to, because this is very teacher centered process everybody every school is very teacher centered we're not about student centered right now every teacher is going to say okay listen to me it's my turn to speak you've had a long break i can just hear every every teacher saying something like you know you've had six months off it's time to focus now what you know so i think um the impact and this is not just impact on indian country but the impact across our schools, across the nation, public schools, tribal schools, BIE schools, we need to start thinking and talking about what does this impact look on trauma and how, uh, how do our kids come back into a school building 
which they know is a place of academics, which they know is a place that has rules and is strict and has these guidelines and they have to do X, Y, Z. But what can we do to make a school building feel welcoming uh, when they return? I know if I was a student, especially in an elementary or middle school, I wouldn't want to go back to school after being on a break for so long. I would actually be afraid. How far behind am I? I'd be worried about being in trouble all the time. So I think this needs to be addressed right now. Uh, addressed for the educators, for the adults to make sure that they're, they're emotionally and socially in check, but also some strategies and tools to those adults so that they know what a student is going to come back in with. And so that right there, that's the nugget for mm -hmm. our frontline educators. You know, um, you know, we can talk about systems change, but on um, in terms of brass tacks, getting down to what can I do in my classroom or what do I do from the principal's office? It's getting to know your kids, trying to deeply understand where they're coming from and what they're, they may or may not be struggling with. And it, it just goes full circle. It's been a theme throughout the, the season so far is like this human, the human aspect, the human element. Yeah. You know, I, we, I keep hearing this, this phrase, get back to normal. And of course my, my gut reaction is goes, what, what is normal and, and, and who does normal serve? Right. Um, and, and I think this is one of those times where, where we're clearly get, we can clearly get back to better, right? We can, we can, we can make this part of our normal practice. And yes, these are essential for successfully returning to school for kids uh, post-COVID. But they are also practices that will sustain kids and make the educational system that serves them better, whether you're in a pandemic or not. Um, and so I, I would be interested, of course, if you're listening right now, join us on um, Facebook, the underscore Board of Ed, or at the underscore board of ed uh, also on Instagram, uh, the board of ed on Facebook, but I would be interested on what are the other things that are, are, are essential for coming back to school from COVID mm. that are actually just great practices that should be part of the new, the new way of doing things. Right. Yeah. Um, like hashtag back to better. How about that? Hashtag That's, back to better. I back love it. Better. Yeah, because as like you said, it's like not back to normal. Let's yeah. get back to better. You know, so I would love yeah. to hear from from you, listener, like, what is better for you? So yeah. hashtag back to better. What does your classroom look like? What does your school look like? What does your district look like? And that will do it for this meeting of the Board of Ed. Uh, yeah, meeting adjourned, man. Anything, any uh, parting words, old wise one? Yeah, I don't know about the wise one. Uh, I think we're really fortunate to have wise people though with us like Diana. Really grateful for her time. You know, again, if you want to know more about her work, the National Indian Education Association, it's niea.org. Um, and yeah, I, I just, what I appreciate so much about what, what Diana shared and what I have learned in my educational uh, journey from other indigenous educators is the, the primacy of culture and language and history if you want to build something sustainable and transformational for youth and i think that i think about the work being done in uh ocheti shakoi territory so the north south dakota think about the great stuff happening in hawaii Th these are folks who know who they are 
they know who their children are, and they are pushing uh, without reservation for what they know their kids deserve. You know, they're not holding anything right. back. And I think that is what um, I hope for our, our students all across the country, black, white, indigenous, Latinx, Asian, and on and on and on, our LGBTQ, two-spirited students. I want our kids to be getting what they deserve. And I want their parents and their community to know that it's not only, uh, it's not a privilege to be engaged, it is your right. Absolutely. Demand what they deserve. Uh, on our next episode, we're going to talk to David Hardy. I think he's going to echo a lot of what we heard from Diana from a completely different perspective. Tell us a little totally. about David's perspective. Uh, so David, Dr. David Hardy comes from having been, you know, a systems leader. Uh-huh. He led a, a, a system through um, a very critical transformation process. Um, and so he's looking at it from, I think sometimes, you know, when folks are looking at it from that perspective, that 30,000 foot view, we kind of, uh-huh. You know, oh, he doesn't, he's not, he's out of touch. But in this case, I think if we're ever going to move from, you know, what can I do in my own sphere of influence to what can we do collectively to reimagine systems? We need folks who have that perspective, that vantage point as well. So I'm really grateful to have him following up on Diana. Well, if you are not excited about the next episode, then you weren't listening. Uh, <laughs> uh, again, check us out on Twitter at the underscore board of ed, uh, or on Instagram by the same handle. We're also on Facebook, the board of ed and the board of ed.com. Remember if no one's told you today or recently, you are important. Your work is vital in the lives of our children, our families, and our communities. So keep fighting the good fight. Keep doing the great work that you do. Keep connecting with us and with each other. Um, and we'll see you next time on the board event. Stay bored. Yeah. Yeah.